Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I realized, oh, I have not been on the right side of history. I was on the wrong side of history. And even though I was a good person, I hadn't necessarily done any personal, individual acts of racism. But I grew up in this context, and that was my racism too. And I needed to take responsibility for that. And so I was deeply ashamed. But I also knew Jesus said, and Jesus invited me into this abundant life that I wasn't meant to stay in that shame. And so there was this invitation, this beautiful invitation to abundance and this deep invitation to look at the ugliness that I have been a part of. As a white woman growing up in South Africa during apartheid, Idalette McVicker was steeped in a community and a church that reinforced white supremacy and shielded her from seeing her neighbor's oppression. But a series of circumstances led her to begin questioning everything she thought was true about her identity, her country, and her faith. Today on Connections, she shares with us the long, slow journey of healing the past, making things right, changing old stories, and becoming human together. We're joined today by Idalette McVicker. She is the author of Recovering Racists, Dismantling White Supremacy, and Reclaiming Our Humanity. You grew up in South Africa, and that's where your childhood and your life starts. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up. Right. Well, yeah, I was growing, I, I was born right into the height of apartheid, which was a system that created laws that separate us as people based on the color of our skin. So I was literally born on the white side of the hospital by law. And so for the first 16 years of my life, that was what really um, held my life. This separateness, only white neighbors, only white students, only white friends in the school that I grew up for the first 12 years of my life. Um, When you went to church on a Sunday, when I walked down that aisle, there were only white people, all my neighbors. So if you think about love your neighbor, all my neighbors were white, right? So when people were thinking, ah, oh, uh, you know, love your neighbor, oh, it's, uh, in that context, there was, no, there was no dissonance, right? And so for the first 16 years of my life, that was the context. And, and then in the midst of that, there were people who were suffering, um, who were, um, were, were suffering some of the, the most violent um, ways of dehumanizing and um, separating us, right? And so 16 years old, I read a book, a book that had recently been unbanned. And I was like walking into the library and uh, there's a little turnstile that said recently unbanned books. And I'm like, oh, how dangerous can that be? This is a library, right? <laughs> I've been here all my life. I grew up going to this library. And so I started reading this book and um, it talked about the friendship between a white man and a black man. And in a way that I hadn't heard about apartheid. Because until that time, it was only one side of the story. It was, it was one way that was told, right? And so that kind of shattered my idea of what it meant to be human in this world and what I thought who I was. And so I set out into the world kind of figuring out, okay, what is this? Who, who am I? And went to Taiwan, worked as a journalist. And it really was in Taiwan around the breakfast table where um, I was invited to meet a different Jesus because the Jesus that I'd grown up with was a white Jesus. And so as I was sitting in Taiwan, um, bowing my head, I was like, who's this? (laughs) What's happening over here? Oh, my mom prays. And 
kind of just being taken up. And so at that time, it was interesting. Um, while my faith was being shaped and formed in Taipei, at the same time, um, I felt like the nudge of the spirit to keep going back in my story to where I grew up. Why am I so connected to the story? And um, that, so for me, my faith was, was always deeply connected to this racism that I grew up in. It wasn't disconnected. And so from there, I just, and I, and I, and I felt a deep shame about, right? Um, I realized that, you know, the United Nations called apartheid a crime against humanity. And when I stood in a ballroom in Taipei with diplomats and business people and kind of people who understood what was happening in the world, and I was there as an Afrikaner woman, I realized, oh, I have not been on the right side of history. I was on the wrong side of history. And even though I was a good person, I hadn't necessarily done any personal individual acts of racism, but I grew up in this context and that was my racism too. And I needed to take responsibility for that. And so I was deeply ashamed, but I also knew Jesus said, and Jesus invited me into this abundant life that I wasn't meant to stay in that shame. And so there was this invitation, this beautiful invitation to abundance and this deep invitation to look at the ugliness that I have been a part of. And so this was a journey. So I've been on this journey for 30 plus years, right? Um, people ask, how long did it take to, book, to, to write the book? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, uh, I would say more than 30 years just because it's my story and, and trying to unravel and undo and walk out of that shame and come to this place of reclaiming my humanity as well. There's been a lot of talk about racism and the church lately in the United States. Yeah. They've been dealing with their own issues the past few years and facing it uh, with the Black Lives Matters movement. And here a lot of like talk about reconciliation and stuff in Canada. Uh, one thing I often hear from people, they'll say things like, racism is in the church's issue and different things like that. But you mentioned Jesus early on in the conversation. I mean, Jesus faced racism head on. Like when we talk about the good Samaritan, Samaritans were viewed as a lesser race and despised, right? And here Jesus holds up the Samaritan, right? Uh, Yeah. Uh, So yeah, we say it's not the church, my church, literally. So the Dutch reformed church in South Africa literally helped create the theology that sustained apartheid, that justified mm. apartheid. So there's a deep reckoning, right? What has the response been like from the church in general as you've been doing your work? And has have, have you found churches very open to the things that you're saying and writing about? Or do you find resistance still? Um, right, so it's pretty new in the world, <laughs> right? The book just dropped on Tuesday, April 12th. And so right now it's still being received with just such tenderness and heart and a kind of a lament and yet also a celebration because it's like, oh, okay, this is maybe a little bit of a map to how do we move through this? We maybe, you know, I was born into the story of whiteness, but we don't have to stay there. We can leave that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a, this is, I think this is so, um, the heart of Jesus, you know, 
the idea of do not be transformed, do not be conformed to the systems of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our hearts, right? And so this is a heart journey. It's very much a heart journey. So I'm hoping, right, um, for people who who take their faith seriously, they are willing to to to, to walk into the ugliness, right? It's, it yeah. requires deep humility. I mean, these are all very biblical principles: humility, repentance, right? This was a is a is a story of repentance, repair, right? Um, you know. So I'm, I will we'll see as we go along. <laughs> <laughs> How about your family? What is your family stance on all of this and everything right, when it comes right. to the book? You know, um, I have asked my mother permission if I could write about this, and um, you know they're excited that I've written the book. We'll see mm-hmm. <laughs> um, once they read the book. But I, I hope I wrote, wrote it with honor. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the chapters is called "Honor Everyone." And for me, this is not about us and them. Again, then we create a different apartheid. For me, this is about, oh, okay, we have work to do. Let's do it. And then also, who is the hardest person for me to honor? Who is the person I'd rather not have around the table? Because that's the person I am exactly invited to. And that person reveals a little bit more about who I am um, and the work that I need to do, right? Um, a friend this week just said to me, I want you to go to Urania. <laughs> She's a black Kosa woman. And she said to me, I want you to go to Urania because there's a community right now in South Africa that, um, that is, it's kind of this enclavement of old South Africa, like an old apartheid and it's people and it's kind of growing. And I was like, and I feel like that's exactly where we're called, where I'm called to do. The person I'd rather, most lot not want to be with or would rather dismiss or reject. That's where our peacemaking, where Jesus invites us, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers. And so that's our invitation is like in the church, when we walk into the church, who is the person who has different opinions from me or different beliefs? Do I, am I willing, am I willing to sit with that person and see and honor their humanity? I'm not talking about honoring injustice. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying wrong, wrong, um, actions right but at the core of who we are can we honor each other's humanity so i hope i do that you know um with my family yeah the other piece around that was um you know we talk about the cloud of witnesses Uh, and uh for me i was you know a friend of mine said to me you know he's from zambia and um he said to me you know our grandfathers would be so proud of us and I said, yes. And then I was like, I don't know if they would be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet that what he said to me, asked me to go in, and, and wrestle with that. And, um, and I wrestled and I was like, okay, God, help me understand what, what, how do I, how do I um, feel like I'm part of a cloud of witnesses? Who, who, who are my ancestors and how, how are they thinking about this? And are they cheering me on? <laughs> And, um, and I just realized, you know, when we, when we pass on this, this idea of we become into a full understanding, the veil is lifted, right? We see now through a glass darkly, but we will see in full. And so I was like, but of course, they're, they're thinking through a lens of love. And love says we honor everyone. We love our neighbor, not just our white neighbor or not just the neighbor that we want to be with, right? But everyone. And so... Um, 
you know, my dad passed away a year ago and I, I have this real sense that, you know, he's in a place of love. He's cheering me on. He's joined my Oma who had a picture of the architect of apartheid in her living room. Hmm. And I believe they're cheering me on because this is the work of love. One of the reasons maybe it's hard to talk about racism in the church and we bring up the word and uh, I, I, this is what I think because it happens to me is we get defensive, right? And like, Oh, I'm not racist though. And I don't tell jokes and stuff and I love everybody, but Really, like racism is so much deeper than that, right? And when we stop and we're honest, we see like it's internalized, right? We grow up with systems and especially in South Africa or Canada and the effects of our laws that we've had with Indigenous people, right? And yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's just internalized that you grow up with that you have to be honest with and face, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like I said, like I was the one who was, who I would not tell a joke or, cause I was thinking, you know, this idea of, 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 of kindness, and, but, but I participated in the communal. It's not just my individual actions, but it was also our communal actions. Right. right? So how was I part of that? And then, no, there was some very real stuff in terms of, it was subtle. It was yeah. very subtle for for example, uh, you know, and this is, and this is tender for me. And but this was the, this was, I felt like this was really where I had to face our racism. We had a gardener and his name was Flip. And, um, and, you know, we kept his, his plate and his cup and his spoon and his fork in a separate cabinet. Hmm. Right. And so that, was my racism. That is my racism that I have to face. And I have to, oh, okay, we've done this. How do I make this right? And I can't make all of it right. It could feel overwhelming, but I can make something right. I can do my part. And I think it's important to be asked, where does my story, my family story, where does it intersect with racism? Where was I complicit? And, um, my hope is with this book that, you know, we would heal some of that intrinsic stuff, that we would just really ask some hard questions and sit, sit with Jesus, um, who is in a brown body, right? And sit with Jesus and reflect and heal and repent and, and also come to a place of, 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 of wholeness and liberation, right? And um, yeah, do the work. One thing I really like about this book is that you've split it up into five different parts. Wake up, leave, repent, recalibrate, and repair. Why did you choose to do it this way? You know, I just, yeah, the wake up, right? Like, um, I just realized that was part of my story. If I look at my life and how it kind of unfolded, these were the elements that came forward for me. And it's not like you kind of wake up and then you move on to the next one. It's, it's not linear. It's like we come to this, like I still wake up. I'm like, Oh, when I sometimes I have a conversation, I have little awakenings, right? Or I read something. That's why it's so important that we read black, black authors, indigenous authors, and authors of color, right? We have to, we have to, to put our, our ideas, our minds into the space so that we may re- be renewed, right? So, okay, this is just how my life unfolded. Leaving, leaving whiteness. I literally left, left um, South Africa. And then I also uh, left Taiwan and I came to Canada. So there's that, I talk about that, also that immigrant identity, right? And this newness, how do we, how do we become a learner? And to say, oh, 
I I don't know everything. I have I have things to unlearn and I have new things to learn. Um, the repent, yeah. I mean, there was a moment where I the first time I went to Robben Island in South Africa, the place where Nelson Mandela was kept for for most of the time during his twenty seven years, and um, I when I walked onto Robben Island. I just, I fell to my knees because it felt like I couldn't walk on that land where so much injustice was done, so much, so much violence, really, right? Uh, and I had to repent and I had to make it right there with God. And, you know, and that was, that was a, my personal, my personal repentance. And, you know, um, I also want to be clear, we don't now run up to people and say, and try and repent for the communal harm that we've done. We have to do that in our, in our, kind of our inner room, right? But the communal repentance, you know, there, there has been an apology. There's still much work that needs to be done here. Uh, we just had an apology from the Pope here. And I'm talking about, you know, the context here in Canada, right? Uh, but there's so much work. And I, the other piece that I, I, that's really important to me is the part where we have, as white people, have to learn to listen to anger. That's a place where we have to hold. Um, and when there has been so much violence and so, um, so much offense, we can't just go, why are you still talking about that? Because it's so many years after apartheid, some of these systems and structures, I walk into a coffee shop, you still see apartheid. You walk, you drive into Cape Town, you still see apartheid. And so those things are still, we still have reserves. Right. Um, and so women are still going missing. So we can't say, oh, uh, now there's been an apology. We have to learn to listen to anger. We have to hold space and hold space for others to heal. And I think that's a really important part, too. That compassionate listening that helps us heal together. Right. So, yeah. That, and then the repair piece. You know, how do we become part of the repairing of the world? Um, for me, this has been financial as well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, along, uh, yeah, I, you know, this book, it's, you know, in 2020, uh, when people were waking up, you know, globally to, to this pandemic of racism, um, you know, there was most of the books in the New York Times bestsellers were by white authors. And at the top, not, not white authors, but authors talking about race and racism. But at the top of the list was a book by a white woman. And People were asking hard questions. Where is this money going? And I was like, Ooh, where is this money going to go? I had never thought like a book on racism would actually kind of um, be on a bestseller list or even do any of that work, right? And, but I realized that this was a financial story too. And so for me, 90, 90% of this book and the profits from this book are going to repair. And the first check I had went to the Residential School Survivor for Society, 90% of that check. Because I, it has to start right here where I live. I am, I am a, a guest on this land. I have been invited into this land. And I am acknowledging the story that this land is telling to and that we are a part of. Um, and so, and then, you know, the, re- the second check, 90% went to South Africa. Um, I talked to friends first. Like we were talking about how do we do this? How, because it's not an easy journey. And this is, I feel like this is, this is something we're going to have to learn and do together. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's unfolding. Um, and I know there's some beautiful people in Canada asking, okay, how do we do this too? Um, but I think this is new and this is unfolding. But this is, this is the heart of reparations too. 
how do we give back or how do we return? Um, we can't, you know, yeah, you can't return dignity, you can't return humanity. But I think as we do this, there is this larger piece that plays where we, you know, when we participate in right making, that we are, you know, some of that, you know, there, you know, I think that's where I believe in the God of the universe that can make things right. A, a God of resurrection, you know, a God that heals and a God that restores. So just doing our part. A lot of this comes with lots of discomfort, lots of feelings of, I don't even know what to explain. Like a lot of people are going to struggle because they can't get past that. What is your advice for those people that are like, oh, this is just too uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about it. As you say in your book, you have a couple of chapters there to the ugly truth, facing the ugly truth. How do you get past that? Because that is a huge step to even get into a place where you can look at things and look at things in a different light and see that other side. You know, if you're feeling that, just sit with that right now. Like, okay, why am I feeling so uncomfortable? And then come and join me in the circle of the recovering racists. I feel uncomfortable still. Um, sometimes when I'm encountering something new and just come and sit with that. Um, and let's talk about it. Let's talk, talk about that with other people. Like, you know, your other friends who are, who are also grappling. Let's find people who are grappling with this. Um, just let's sit in a circle and let's talk about it. And, and if that discomfort is saying something, if you're feeling that in your body, that means there's something, there's some work that we need to do. Um, let's interrogate that. Let's ask questions about that. Let's bring it to the spirit of truth, to the Holy God, um, you know, and ask, you know, what is, what is the truth? And see if that lines up with those who are, who are the ones who have been oppressed, who have been marginalized, who have been violated by this, who have been hurt by this. Is this what I'm feeling? Is my defense, you know, this defensive reaction, is it because of some, what somebody has said and how they have been hurt or violated? And if it is, maybe I have to sit with that first and let's see what unfolds and, and walk through these steps, you know, walk through these steps, invite truth into that inner parts, truth in our inner parts, right? I have a lot of questions and we'll run out of time with you. Just, uh, I, um, I don't know which way Thank to go. <laughs> I do. So one thing I often hear from people, uh, both I used to be a pastor. So I hear this after a service, if we talked about something or I'll hear from listeners once in a while, let's say like, just as a generalization, talking about residential schools and reconciliation. And I'll often get something along the lines of, that was only the Catholics or the Anglicans. My denomination wasn't even involved. And then I asked what denomination and I surprised them that their denomination likely was. But like, what do we do with comments like that, though? Like that wasn't even our denomination. That was, you know, a long time ago. What do we need to understand as people of Jesus and Jesus followers about repairing and reconciliation? Yeah, I think for me, ask the question, where would Jesus be? Um, where, would, where would Jesus go and sit right now? And where would we find him? And I think he's sitting with those who are lamenting and are hurting and are still um, hurting from residential schools. We, you know, we hear from survivors. Listen to the stories of survivors. I would say that's central, right? Um, even if you don't feel like you have been a part of this how about we just go and sit and listen 
not bring our stories or opinions, but listen, find yourself in a circle or pick up a book. They're a fantastic book um, about, um, about what's happened with residential school. So go and sit with that um, and just maybe have a humble posture. Is it possible that I've been wrong? Is it possible that I'm missing something? Um, yeah. I hope, like, just inquire. Just have an open, have an open heart, and and um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, the, the fruit of the spirit is humility, right? Um, how can we enter into this with a posture of humility and say, "Oh, where have I possibly missed something?" Because I've still missed something. I woke up after sixteen years. 16 years and I'm like oh I have missed so much what else have I been wrong about and so you know they need it's like okay there's more things to learn and there's more things to unlearn start with being open-minded yeah. and willing and willing to listen yeah. for people yeah. who want to start this journey or still in the midst of their journey or have started the journey and kind of hitting some bumps in the road. They want to read about your story. How can they go about doing that? Right. So the book is called Recovering Racists, um, Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. Um, I believe it's available in order at Indigo, uh, most bookstores, um, Amazon, like all of those booksellers that, that um, have books. Um, yeah. So on the internet, it's it's available most most places where you find books and i would love yeah i would just love to have this continue this conversation if people want to talk about it oh you know it's four little circles of of recovering covering races i did that with my friends we 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 you know talk to each other about oh dear i've messed up this what do i do about that right before we go out into the world and kind of do more harm we kind of try to figure this out right um yeah so yeah, that's the book or, you know, yeah, you can order it from uh, from Baker Publishing as well. There's just lots of options. <laughs> People want to learn more about you. How can they go about doing that? My, my website is idelet.com, I-D-E-L-E-T-T-E.com. Um, there's all kinds of things about the book as well. I'm on all the social media, Instagram, Idelet Mithrithar, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, so all of those, those places. Um, I would love to hear from people. I have, I, I love, I love um, the communities that I've encountered in Winnipeg. We've done some beautiful work. But in fact, we, I use those circles. They're called "Not My White Jesus," and I love, I just love the people who have engaged with, with this and really have, have started reckoning and, and, and grappling with this. Um, I've seen some beautiful hearts. Thank you so much. It's been great getting to know you, and uh, I cannot wait to check out this book. Thank you so much. Thank you for your really, really beautiful questions. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.